0: Welcome back
1: to Crazy Faith Talk, I'm Sarah, I'm Steve, I'm Erica,
2: and we are in the midst of a exciting, riveting series <laughs> on the different kinds of books you read in the whole Bible that we call, uh, the whole, rather, the whole uh, library that we call the Bible, um... And uh, we have waded through the Torah, we've waded through history books, we've waded through uh, wisdom literature and poetry, and uh, tell us where our jumping off point is for today.
1: Well, we haven't completely waded through wisdom and poetry just yet, because there's this massive book, the largest book in the Bible, the Book of Psalms, that falls in that category... Um, but the reason we're pulling it out and making it its own episode is the fact that there are multiple genres just within this poetry book. Mm -hmm. So um, some of those genres include things like praise and wisdom, um, coronations and and psalms for the coronation of a new king, thanksgiving, lament, um, all these things we, we find in the book of Psalms, which means that depending on which psalm you're reading, might vary how you read it depending on which category it falls under. Yeah, that's helpful.
0: Okay. And some of them might even fall under two categories.
2: Oh! So, maybe as a place to start, just as a refresher or reminder, things that are common across Hebrew poetry, even in other biblical books like Proverbs, is this idea of parallelism, that Mm -hmm. instead of rhyming words, think rhyming ideas. So, the first line will say this, and the second line either emphasizes it, or offers a contrast, or put the same idea in other words, but basically, that's a recurring uh, feel for Hebrew poetry, that the first part is echoed by a second part. But within that, like you said, there's all, a whole bunch of varieties of ways that the psalms get used, or, or that format uh, shows up in, in different sub-genres, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Like, pick, a, pick up a favorite or a place to start, Sarah. What are things we should know about any of the psalms, or what's a category that would be helpful for us to know about?
0: So I think let's start with the one that we often... Don't pay as hmm. much attention to Which is coronation psalms okay. These are the psalms that Deal with descriptions Of or possibly Were psalms sung At coronation So think of like the coronation of King David Or the coronation of King Solomon mm-hmm. These are the, so- the psalms That are about Those events
2: And maybe it's worth comparing For a moment like to the the pomp and circumstance and unofficial liturgy that we use at the installation or, um, election or inauguration of elected leaders in our world today. So there's Mm -hmm. some things that like are this unspoken, it's not written down that you have to do it this way, but this is how we do it. There is a parade and you have the person walking up to the official place and the swearing Mm -hmm. in for us. Back in Bible times, it's a crown on your head and a bunch of olive oil poured on your head to be officially anointed, um... But um, the idea of sort of this is the moment where they are vested with power and authority, and this is a moment where the the nation of Israel or Judah, depending on what point in history this story, the, the Psalms are being sung, um, sort of celebrate what they remember as God's promise to be with the divinic monarchy, or to be with our king, and sometimes it's a prayer, please God, help the king, and sometimes it's a reminder, God, you promised that one of our descendants would be on the throne, and this will last forever and ever, amen. Um, One of the things I think is interesting about that is uh, all of the kings fall short of all the lofty talk in mm-hmm. the, the psalms of coronation about how great and wise and just they're going to be. Um, and that's part of, I think, what feeds the idea once they come back from the exile of there has to be somebody who eventually will do what these psalms were saying was going to happen. Because, you know, if, if you keep singing a song about the king will bring justice and the king will rule in peace and they turn out to be just as corrupt or wicked or rotten as the last one, um, you're wondering, are our songs lying to us? Was God <laughs> lying to us? Um... <laughs> And instead it feeds what uh, becomes sort of the messianic hope. And you get other other voices in the scriptures that have this idea that one day there will come this promised ruler. But by the time you get to the New Testament, that's in you know, that that's a, a full on burning fire of messianic expectation. And part of it is there are all these voices in our psalms and even in the prophets promising there would come this great king who would finally put things right, and all the ones we had to live through, they were all duds. So surely there will have to be this one day where a ruler finally does what God intended them to do.
1: But we're not used to, you know, we don't have kings and queens as our rulers, so this is really kind of, we are so separated from mm-hmm. these um, these ideas that it, it's helpful for us to be able to place them then with the idea of Jesus in that messianic mm-hmm. line from David forward and what that, you know, that that promise to yeah. that eventual Messiah.
0: And, and I think that the coronation psalms are so not every day, which is yeah. why we probably don't pay as much attention to it, because, like, the other ones, like, the, uh, the psalms of thanksgiving, the psalms of lament, the psalms that are more like prayers to God, those are things that we do every day. Mm-hmm. Whereas coronations, whether, um, you know, paying attention to the monarchies in foreign lands or our own um, installing of our presidents or senators or whatever, those don't happen every day. They Mm -hmm. happen every couple of years, every couple of decades, depending on what position it is, whereas the the, the psalms for Thanksgiving and praise and lament, those are everyday things. Those Mm -hmm. are things that we experience every day, so they speak to us on a, I think, more personal Mm -hmm. level.
2: So let me offer two more thoughts About this this genre of coronation psalms um, One is Even though the kings would change From generation to generation <clears throat> the, the moment of, of crowning A new monarch Is also a time for the nation For the people to sort of like Celebrate the values that they think are important In a way that similarly When mm-hmm. we have inaugurations of our elected leaders There's always talk about you know freedom and liberty and justice. I mean, like, this is sort of a, a place for us to trot out the virtues that, like, this is our national character. Whether we live into it or not, or, this is what we say. And that the Coronation Psalms often have that same aspirational sense of hear the particular values that we want to be about and so sometimes you'll see things in the coronation psalms like um you know uh, may the king grant justice to the poor may the king rule with fairness or may the king uh have peace or something like that there's a there's a particular set of this is what we think we're supposed to be about as Mm -hmm. people so um there's there's surprisingly little talk about may we get super rich and more about like may there be justice and righteousness mm-hmm. and fairness all around. It, it's interesting to me that like, we live in an era where often we judge people solely by how well the market's doing um, or how big is our army and the biblical writers, at their best, when it comes to coronating a new king, will say, like, no, these aren't the things that we should hope for mm-hmm. about that, a new king. The other thing I want to say that I think has a, a, a potentially negative edge to it with the coronation psalms is that they sometimes got, I want to say misused, I don't think this was their intention, but I think they sometimes got misused as sort of a royal propaganda of, the king can do no wrong, because the king was instituted by God, and God's anointing is on Mm -hmm. this king, so do what the king says. Mm -hmm. And the assumption came to be, as long as we've got the divinely anointed king, nothing bad will happen to our kingdom. And when things like exile come along, and the foreign empires of the Assyrians or the Babylonians come wreck things, that official royal theology of, we have God's anointed king, nothing bad will happen to us, that got blown apart. In fairness, Mm -hmm. those are promises that the coronation psalms make, um, but man, like the the official word from the capital was, we have God's anointed king, we will last forever, all other kingdoms will bow before us, we can't go into exile, Mm -hmm. we can do whatever we want because we've got God's anointed... And it became this sort of, like, God's in our back pocket because we have God's anointed Mm -hmm. king, and we have the temple, and we have all these official places where God is, and therefore God won't let bad things happen to us. And when it does a whole reinvention of theology has to happen and they have to ask, huh, how did that happen? Because we've been singing all these songs about how our reign would never end and God Mm -hmm. would be with us forever and we wouldn't go into exile and then it happened. Um, And that later voices have to deal with the, the aftermath of only hearing coronation songs so maybe in our era we aren't used to hearing them sung at all um and back in the days of the 700s 800s bc their trouble was that was all that was coming out of the capital and if that's all you hear you're pretty likely to think oh we're invincible as long as we do whatever the king says we'll be great and sometimes what the king tells you to do is horrible
1: Yeah, because sometimes the king forgets all those things that these coronations right. of are, are asking God to help the king do, like bring about justice and, and you know provide for the poor and all that, and the kings are doing the exact opposite. Right. And
2: it just because the psalm at their coronation said things like, may he protect and give justice to the poor, doesn't mean he will do it. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that like anything he does, he gets to say, see, we sang about justice and mercy and righteousness and all that, that must be what I'm doing. Because increasingly, as the generations went by, the kings of Israel and Judah became more and more like mm-hmm. little versions of Pharaohs egypt where the pharaoh was on top and the king was on top and people increasingly uh lost their children Mm -hmm. to fight in wars and lost their uh, treasures to feed the to to build the palace and um there is this this deep i guess ambiguity in the bible itself about whether it was a great move to have kings in the first place Mm -hmm. should we maybe spend some time on some of the other genres just in case you're not going to a crowning the king later today. There are other (laughs) genres of psalms that will apply directly or more immediately to your life,
1: right? Yes. Well, Sarah, you mentioned earlier how some of these other, you know, the prayers and the praise and the thanksgivings and the laments we tend to do on a more regular basis. But, Mm -hmm. um, and I agree with you completely, but I think lament, one of those other categories of psalms that we tend to not necessarily forget, but we tend to kind of push aside. That's
0: because we don't like to think about sad things. Yeah. No, we,
1: we don't like to think about sad things. We don't like to think about life being terrible. And when, when life is terrible, we, we don't know how to deal with it. But there are, there are a lot of Psalms that help us, you know, when life gets really rough, that we can, you know, use as our own prayers to cry out to God. Because guess what? We're not the first people who've had bad days. Yeah. And I think that,
2: that's important that, like... Maybe if we are comfortable with the idea of a sad song, we need to have a happy ending, or we're used to stories mm-hmm. that start out that, but at least in the last five minutes, something good happens. And the, sometimes the laments do that, and it'll be, uh, you know, "Woe is me, where are you, God?" And there will be a mm-hmm. turn at the end, and God has answered the prayer, and the psalmist sees it. But sometimes they just end on a note of, "Where are you, God?" And the Bible is okay with leaving those chords unresolved, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know, um, there's an old Donald. Donald Donald Miller book from I think the 90s called Blue Like Jazz and he talked about how the biblical faith in his view is, is authentic in the sense that it doesn't resolve, it doesn't force happy endings but it's okay mm-hmm. that some things are unresolved and don't all end on a C major chord um, and the fact that the laments allow us to do that um, that's, that's an important thing it stretches a spiritual muscle that we aren't maybe used to stretching mm-hmm. and I think it's valuable in whatever ways our different traditions use the psalms That from time to time, we're forced to sing a song that's sad when I'm happy, and vice versa. Sometimes Mm -hmm. to sing a song that's happy when I'm sad as a reminder that God's reign is bigger than just me. I mean, I bring whatever baggage I bring on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Here's how I'm feeling, and I tend to assume everybody feels like me. I had a rotten week, or I'm feeling great. Everybody should be happy. And it's helpful to know the Psalms meet me where I'm at, but also if I'm doing great and I've forgotten there's somebody else who lost their parent this last week Mm -hmm. or somebody else who lost their job or somebody else who's grieving the anniversary uh, five years ago is when their child died or something like that um, I need to remember that where I'm at isn't where everybody else is and the the laments are Mm -hmm. one way of of reminding us that so even if it feels weird to me to sing a sad song if I'm in a happy, optimistic, rose-colored lens mood those are helpful for me to remember
1: and the fact that there, there are many of the lament psalms are individual, Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a a large group of them also, which is communal, which is something else that, you know, we might be okay with dealing with lament, like just between us and God, Mm -hmm. but when we bring that on a communal level and and really focus in on that, that, at least I know in my experience, maybe not necessarily my tradition, but my own personal experience, that's something we're really not comfortable doing.
2: I would say too, this is for me a point where I will own, um, I think there's a blind spot for me, especially from a racial standpoint of being somebody who uh, is a, has been in the majority as a white mm-hmm. American. Um, yeah. There are there are things that the African-American Christian tradition can own and appreciate about lament. Um, yeah. And how, how many of you, like even the oldest yeah. spirituals, have this sense of like being able to like lift up like this ache, I mean, both during the time of slavery, but also during Jim Crow, this sort of corporate sense of, God, when are you going to deliver us? Because we Mm -hmm. keep holding on to this promise. um, In a way that um, if I dare to sing, I have to realize I've been sheltered from a lot of that need to sing a communal lament. And there are other people who do have that need to sing a communal lament. Um, and it is, if I am given permission to sing a communal lament with others who have earned it, it is their gift of grace to me to let me be a part of that moment mm-hmm. rather than, mm-hmm. I can sing any gosh golly song I want from the songbook, but like maybe I gotta own, if, if my first world problems are they were out of my favorite flavor of coffee syrup at the coffee <laughs> store, or they didn't have blueberry muffins and I wanted a blueberry muffin and I had to settle for a corn muffin. Like these are small this is not worthy of lament. Yeah. S- hundreds of years of slavery. Or um, going into exile and coming back from Babylon, these things are worthy of lament. Mm -hmm. But uh, while the the individual laments give us permission on the days when whatever's going on I can lament, it's also a reminder yeah, there's other people who've got bigger issues than I've got. (laughs) Um, There are other kinds of psalms as well. Sometimes uh, they're just plain old like um, prayers of, um, I don't know what to say, like sort of seeking or prayers of. Unsettledness, looking for God's direction. Um, mm-hmm. for, I mean, some are like, I'm already happy. I want to keep being happy. Some are sad. I'm staying sad. And some are like, I'm not really sure how I feel. One of my favorite, favorite Psalms is a short little one. It's Psalm 131, and it's short enough that I could read you the whole Psalm. It's only three verses. In the NRSV, it goes like this. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up; my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have quieted and calmed my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the child that is with me. O oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. Sure. And that's it. It's. It's. I, I love about that psalm that it's sort of. I don't even know how to feel. I don't even know. I don't even dare lift lift my head up to heaven. It's not like a confession of sin, like oh, what was me? I I messed up, mm-hmm. or I'm being persecuted. It's just like this. I I I'm in a, I, I don't know what to say. God and I trust you'll be with me and that'll be enough and Mm -hmm. I I think there's this beautiful honesty there in that psalm that doesn't have to get quite so dramatic as the woe is me, I'm a a wretch and I'm a worm sometimes the psalms go there sometimes they are the highest heights of praise the Lord, you rule all the creation and we're awesome God and then there's these, I don't know what to say God but here I am and I trust that you're with me I put this, uh, the Shepherd Psalm, "The Lord is my shepherd," in that same kind of category because it's mm-hmm. sort of like it's not like the most dramatic. It's like whatever I'm going through, you'll be with me, kind of a thing. Um, and I, I, I like that. on the um, days are just kind of like ordinary Wednesdays, God's there too.
1: There's also some historical psalms okay. too. Yeah. It's a category we haven't mentioned yet. Um, you know, psalms that kind of recount. Israel's history Mm -hmm. even there's um, correct me there's a psalm written by Moses right
2: there's a psalm attributed to Moses I think it's psalm 90 right and it's the number your days. teach us the number our day's psalm
1: huh? Um, but But there are others that just kind of recount Israel's history and um, so that again that's the psalms cover such a huge number of genres yeah you know that those particular psalms that recount history could almost be put with the history books right you know Uh, even though they're, they're in this larger yeah. book.
0: And I want to say that it's the history psalms are the reason why a lot of psalms are attributed to David, mm-hmm. aren't they? Is that as a um, recording of the. Nation's history.
2: That could be. I, I know that there's a number that have in the transcription in your Bibles, like in English Bibles, it'll often be like in an italics and it'll be like a psalm of David. And the, the Hebrew is vague because La Dawid is the Hebrew, and of David could mean. By David, like he's the author, or in the Davidic style, like we talk about mm-hmm. a Shakespearean sonnet just being a sonnet, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, and it, that it's it's because of is a slippery kind of a preposition, and it's the same thing in, in Hebrew as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot that that get attributed of David, and we're not quite sure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the su- the subscription the superscription will say of David at the time when he was running from Saul, and mm-hmm. then it's oh okay, we're meant to hear this as the song like it's almost like this is the playlist for what's going on when David was doing this or this mm-hmm. is the music like again, Bible is musical, this is the song <laughs> for when David is running away from Saul. And other times it's there's nothing in the psalm itself that suggests David is writing it, but that it's in the style of or in the the mode of uh, David or something mm-hmm. like that. And the Hebrew will allow either translation or either idea. I think it's important though that, that, that what you both mentioned, the idea of remembering our history and remembering even if it's a particular version of our history as an ongoing important liturgical act part of what we do as god's people is we recount the stories of here's where god came through for us in the past here and with the thought of and whatever we're going through now god will go with us but also maybe to remind us about what kinds of things mattered to god to act about in the past as well like when we were slaves in egypt oh god acted there i got a hangnail turns out nope don't expect the parting of the red seas um And... That, like that the recounting of the stories is often paralleled with a, like a refrain of praise for the people like that it'll mm-hmm. be, you know, give thanks to the Lord for uh, God's love is uh, lasts forever, and then it'll be and God did this, and God's love lasts forever and you can, you can almost hear in the way they're worded, a call and response like that, this would have been used with like a leader up front saying the new thing and the people doing the refrain um, over and over and over again, to drive home the point what am I supposed to remember about all this? Oh yeah God's steadfast love endures forever, that kind
1: Mm-hmm. yeah I'm thinking we were talking about the lament songs a minute ago and there's one song it always sticks the last line of it always sticks out in my head because I never know this will probably be a song I will never preach on at least in, if I do I will definitely probably not read this last verse <laughs> and you probably know which song I'm talking about some of
2: the imprecatory
1: songs <laughs> it's 137 in verse 9 last verse happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. Yeah. I mean, talk about the gamut of emotions yeah. Yeah. in the Psalter. This is one of those ones, like, I get where they're coming from because they're, you know, it's, my Bible titles is a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And so that made, the people are upset. I mean, their, their temple, their city, their capital, their nation, which was, you know, while it was larger than Jerusalem, Jerusalem represented the nation, has been destroyed. And I get that. But my goodness, to take... Yeah. Infants. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. (laughs) Of your
1: enemy, and, you know... um.
2: To me, one of the things I really find helpful, even if it is always upsetting to me about psalms like this, and to be honest, this is not the only time where something like this gets said, it is important to me to remember that the psalms are a weird book in the sense that these are, we treat them as Scripture, God's word for us, and yet at the same time, it's a whole book of our prayers to God. Mm -hmm. And this is maybe that weird overlap space where here's a book that in a sense we call God's word to us and our word to God at the same time. And it's important to note by having basically a record of people's prayers, That God is not obligated to do the thing that we ask for, you know, and like, like Mm -hmm. almost, almost in a way, like when we were talking about Job, that part of what I get from Job is you can be as angry as you need to be, and God can take it, even when you're angry at God. And at the end, when I've spent all my anger and my little tirade is over, God says, "All right, you ready to move on?" Mm -hmm. Um, And that sometimes my anger is aimed at God, God, why did you let this happen? And sometimes my anger is aimed at somebody else, and I want to say, "God, do all these terrible things to so and so." And at the end of my little hissy fit, God can stop and go, "Okay, is it out of your system now?" But that God is not obligated to do mm-hmm. the thing I pray for. And to, to me, as weird as it is to say this, one of the most comforting things to me in my theology of prayer is that God is not obligated to do the thing I ask for. And I know it's weird to say it. most people are usually like, that it's comforting to think that God will do what you pray for, mm-hmm. but to me, it, there's something comforting about that God is not a genie, because sometimes I ask for stupid things, and I don't know that they're stupid. That's, that's my problem, is that yeah. sometimes I ask something where I think, this is what really needs to happen, in God, why don't you do this? And later on I go, oh, it would have been stupid if that happened, or I, you know, uh, God's thinking 50 moves ahead playing three-dimensional chess, and I'm playing checkers. Um, and... That God can bear when I just have nothing but blind rage, and I would say, "God, why don't you make this some terrible thing happen to so and so?" And God can listen, and God come. Okay, it's out of your system. Okay, mm-hmm. you're done with this now. I'm not going to do that. I'm, like, and like I have to live through these arguments with my kids when they're <laughs> mad at each other, and they want to come to me tattling and be like, "Dad, won't you make you know my brother go into time-out because he hit me?" Or "Dad, why don't you take away his toy because he you know, whatever?" and I have to adjudicate in those moments. And, Mm -hmm. like, I have to listen to their angry little outbursts, their little well-rehearsed, they did this to me, they're bad, make them suffer, you know, punish them or something like that. Take away their toys, don't let them go to whatever. And I have to say, no, that's not going to happen. And if there's consequences to be dealt out, I have to deal those out. But also, if you just need me to listen and be mad, okay. And you can be mad for a while, because five minutes from now we're going to be okay again. Um, And at least to me it seems important to remember that from god's vantage point that's me all the time i am always <laughs> this little uh-huh. in, in you know petulant kid going god i'm upset aren't you upset about it and of course god is upset when other people get hurt but that god takes my anger and can turn it into okay you need to cool off for a little bit you want to dash babies on rocks nope you just cool down for a little bit mm-hmm. you pray get out of your system i don't have to do what you ask we're good it, it's all covered um, and I, to me that
1: that ends up being comforting, even though it's terrible to speak those words of the psalm out loud and looking at the psalm right before and after, not that the psalms are necessarily meant to be read straight through mm-hmm. because they're they're by different authors and about different things, but yeah. on either side of that particular psalm one thirty six and one thirty eight are both psalms of thanksgiving and or praise mm-hmm. so it kind of it goes back to when we were talking about Ecclesiastes and some of the other wisdom literature about how you know the seasons of you know goodness and, and You know, well, I'm in a really terrible season right now, but I can look forward to that time where things are going to get good again. And then, well, I'm in a really great season, but I have to remember that eventually, you know, you have to come down off the mountaintop Mm -hmm. for a little bit and go in the valley. And then God, and so it's just interesting, however, you know how it was put together as a total book that that bashing, you know, children's heads against rocks lands right in between two psalms of thanksgiving and praise the other thing I
2: think that's important to remember even as terrible as that violent imagery at the end of that psalm 137 is is the opening verse makes it clear they're still living under or are remembering Mm -hmm. recently being under the rule of the cocky and arrogant Babylonians who are who are like sing us one of your old songs and like are just like you know rubbing it in that like Mm -hmm. we conquered you and we just want you to do a song and dance for us and it's this like anger of feeling powerless you know and like Mm -hmm. again Something I gotta own is I have never lived in a circumstance where somebody told me. I was completely powerless and under them. Yeah. And, like there's a whole list of reasons. I don't have to be mad at myself that I was born the way I was with. But like the, I have to acknowledge, mm-hmm. I never grew up with somebody telling me you won't amount to anything. Uh, I'm not important. And look, we crushed you. I've, I've never lived in occupied territory. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in human history have lived in that. And when you are conquered like that, and the only message is you don't matter. We defeated you. You're conquered. Just do a little song and dance routine for us, and we'll throw you a nickel. Um, like of course you're going to be angry. Of course there's going to be rage. And what do you do with that rage? Well, I mean, actually, the most healthy thing may be to turn it into a song Rather than actually punching somebody mm-hmm. in the head, you know um, And it seems interesting to me, too That the it's almost like the psalmist processes the anger by talking about it rather than doing it You know, that yeah. it's not like, I will go kill their babies But it's like, mm-hmm. I feel so mad, this is what I need to say Somebody, somebody go! But like, I'm I'm not going to do it. It's interesting. It, 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 it's interesting yeah. to me too that like that's the move that the the person writing this song makes mm-hmm. is not. I will, I now feel justified. I will go on a killing spree. But I'm so angry. This seems right to me. And they leave it there rather than now that I've sprayed my prayer, I will go kill people. But I'm I'm leaving my anger there. Maybe we could say one last category is that there are some. Psalms that do the hodgepodge that like start mm-hmm. lament and end with joy, um, and there are some that even feel more like almost like proverbs themselves. Like the opening psalm is like a contrast between wisdom and fools, or the good do this and the bad do this. And to note that these psalm, the 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 classes we have come up with of lament and praise and Thanksgiving and coronation are in some ways our invention. And just like anybody writing a song or a prayer today, it's going to have all sorts of different stuff going on in your life. Um, and so, in a way, similarly to, like, you know, we, we talk about, like, there being genres of music, and there's, you know, pop, and there's rock, and there's, uh-oh, what do you do when there's a song that's country and rap at the same time, like <laughs> Old Town Road? Um, the Psalms do that same thing. Mm-hmm. And instead of, like, no, that can't happen, it's got to be one or the other. And, no, it's okay, it's, life is messy that way, and so are the Psalms. Um, And they invite us to that kind of honest, wherever you're at, the Psalms invite us both to know that where we're at, God meets us there, and also God stretches us beyond wherever we're at on any given day, too. Well, um, thanks for joining us for this round of conversation here on Crazy Faith Talk, and um, we'll catch you next time.
1: See ya. Bye.